This morning, I want to encourage you with a word. I encourage you with something that God has been speaking to me as I've been praying about this year and praying about all the things that um, God has in store for us. And um, next Sunday, as I mentioned, is Vision Sunday. Uh, we're really excited about Vision Sunday, um, and and we're really excited about sharing more with you about what our vision is for 2018 and all the things that we believe that God is leading us into. Um, and and as a church, we are almost three years old in April. Uh, we will have our third birthday as a church, um, and we are beginning to see and beginning to taste the things that God put in our hearts right in the beginning. But even though we're starting to see some of this stuff, we still believe that we haven't even begun to scratch the surface of God's faithfulness towards us. All of us in this room are still going to stand amazed at what God is going to do in this community and through this church. We are going to stand in awe of God. That's what God does. That's how he works. He works things in a way. Nothing that God ever does in your life or in your church or in your community and in your heart, do you stand back and go, okay, well, that was average. You know, God doesn't do stuff at an average level. When he creates the heavens, he creates the heavens. And even though we stare at them day in and day out, and even though we may look at it a thousand times, we can buy the biggest telescopes, we can never exhaust our awe and wonder at what God has created. And we are, never going to be, we are never going to be able to exhaust our sense of awe at what God is going to do in and through this church and what God is gonna do in and through your life. The greatest thing about all of it is that you're gonna be a part of the plan. The greatest thing about all of this is that God will use your life as broken as it may be, as imperfect as it may be, as flawed as it may be. All of us are in that position. God is going to use your life and he is gonna weave it into that plan and you are gonna stand in awe, not only at what God has done, but what God has done through you and the lives that are changed. And people are gonna get up and say, it's because this person reached out to me. It's because that guy made me a cup of coffee. It's because this person invited me to church. And we could literally alter the destinies of countless people in this city simply because we chose to show up and to trust God. And, uh, and I believe that is, is what we have... Um, ahead of us in 2018 and the years that lie ahead. And, and I really believe that God has this incredible inheritance for us. You know, an inheritance is a birthright. How many of you know you don't earn an inheritance? You don't work for an inheritance. It's not a salary. It's something that you get simply because of who your father is. And because of who our father is, we have an inheritance. We have something that God has laid up for us and that is, is constantly being revealed to us. And our job as the church is to help transition people into their inheritance, to help people flourish in every area of their lives. And we want that for you. We want you to know the inheritance that you have in Christ. Paul prays for the church in Ephesus, in Ephesus 1, and he says, I want you to know the great inheritance that is laid up for you in Christ Jesus. I want you to know the fullness of what God has for you. We don't wanna live second-rate lives when God has given us a first-rate inheritance uh, to walk out. And, and so we wanna just encourage you to bring some friends and to join us next week. We're gonna have an awesome time here at Anchor Church, and um, we're gonna try and demo and set up some of the things that we wanna do here on a Sunday going forward and, and do our best to have all of that ready for next week. So um, in, in line with all of this, our uh, theme for this month and what we've been looking at, what we spoke about last week, um, is, is, is looking towards the future and walking into the future. There's this idea of moving forward, this idea of taking ground, this idea of, of trusting Jesus. And uh, last week we spoke about how Jesus is the same according to the book of Hebrews, yesterday, today, and forever. And how encouraging it is that even though we have a new year and every new year has new challenges and new things that we battle through and new situations to handle, 
the same Jesus walks with us through them all. Even though change is a constant in this world, there's a one thing that's more constant than change, and that is the unchanging Jesus and his faithfulness and his love and his goodness. And if he was the same yesterday, then it means that the pain of your past has already been dealt with. Then it means that you can let, leave those things behind, as Paul says, and look forward and press on towards the goal. We can press on because Jesus was in our yesterday. And even in the battles of the present, he is the same today. If you're currently battling things, if you're currently in the midst of a wilderness or in a difficult time or in a situation that feels bigger than you, the good thing to know is is that Jesus is still the same today. The same Jesus that died for you yesterday is present with you in your battle today. And he is the same forever. Which means that tomorrow and the day after and the day after and the day after, doesn't matter how many more tomorrows there are ahead of us, the truth is, is that Jesus still remains faithful. He is faithful and will continue to be faithful even when you are faithless because he cannot deny himself. He is a faithful God and in your tomorrow you will experience his faithfulness. You will see his faithfulness. You will taste his faithfulness. As as, uh, David writes, he says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Come on, how many of you are grateful for that? That surely God's goodness and his mercy will follow you it's, it's like God's goodness will stalk you. Even when you're trying to get away, even when you don't believe it's for you, even when you feel unworthy and you try and run away from God's goodness, it, it will hunt you down and it will find you. You will not be able to escape the goodness of God. I love that. That's why we're slaves to righteousness. I love being a slave to righteousness because a slave can't escape. It means that even when I want to be unrighteous, even when I wanna walk away from God's plan, even when I wanna do something else, God's righteousness keeps pulling me back. It keeps bringing me in line. It keeps protecting my life. The righteousness is the, is the breastplate that protects my life, my vital organs. And God's righteousness does that. I'm going so far ahead of anything I've got on my notes here. I'm like, I'm just preaching today. I just wanna, wanna do that. So, so um, today I wanna, I wanna share a message with you um, about walking into tomorrow. Walking into tomorrow how we can all walk into the fullness of God's purposes and promises and plans for our lives, which we know that God has for each of us. Do you know this morning that God has got plans for your life, that he has got a purpose, that he has got promises, that he has already fulfilled? In Jesus, every single promise is yes and amen. It's already given. It's already been, been, been given to you. Uh, it's not something you have to earn or achieve. And um, when I was thinking about this and I was, I was writing this message, I always think back to uh, when my oldest son, Eli, was born just a little over six years ago. And, um, and I, I chose to, um, to sleep in the hospital. I wanted to be there. I didn't wanna miss out on anything. After like the second sleepless night, I was like, no, I should have stayed home. But, but I was there. I didn't do it again with the twins, just so you know. But with Eli... I just, I didn't want to miss a single second. And I know that uh, he was born at around eight o'clock in the evening and uh, he had his bath and he slept a little bit. And somewhere in the early hours of the morning, they brought Eli and they wrapped him up. You know, it's so cute when they take the arms, they tuck him in, they wrap him up tight and they put this little, this little body, this little boy um, into the bed next to me and he lay on his side and um, he was still a little bit swollen from kind of just having been born and stuff. And so, you know, he had, he had these chubby cheeks and, and uh, he was making these little wheezy noises, um, just this cute little scrunched up face right next to me in bed. And I'll never forget the sound of, of, that he made. And I'll never forget just looking at his face. And, and in that moment, I thought to myself, I only want good things for this boy. 
And by good things, I don't mean that I'm, I'm expecting him to not experience hardship. I'm not talking about spoiling him. I'm not talking about you know, doing things that would be unhealthy for him. But when I looked at him, my, my number one prayer, and I prayed over my boys every single night, is Jesus, let him know the gospel. Let him know how imperfect he is so that he knows how perfect his savior is. Let him know how much he needs Jesus so that he wouldn't rely on himself, but that he would rely on you in every moment of every life. That is my prayer for my kids. I want them to know the grace of God before they know anything else. And so even as a dad, I don't pretend to be perfect. I don't want to portray an image of perfection which they know is not true. I want them to know that dad also has flaws, but that when dad meets his flaws, he turns to Jesus because one day they'll meet their own and then they can turn to Jesus as well. That's, that's what I want for my kids. I want them to be blessed. I want them to, to, to enjoy life, to experience the fullness of life, to, to be involved with things that, that express the beauty of God and of life. And, and so every single day since then, I have fought um, to give Eli and his brothers those things. I want them to have all things and, 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 and I want them to know the goodness of God and, and that's just the heart of a father. That's just the heart of a father. And the Bible says that as an earthly father, I'm evil, I'm selfish, I'm greedy. Uh, I'm nothing like the heavenly father. As good as my intentions may be, the father, our father in heaven who has adopted us as his children, his heart and his intentions are far greater than mine could ever be, even for my own flesh and blood, even for my own children. God's heart for you, God's heart for us is so much greater and that's what I believe God wants us to recognize. He wants us, he wants us to see that. The reason why we fear the future, the reason why we are so often insecure, and the reason why we, we hold back with apprehension sometimes in terms of walking into the future is because we still have not truly come in our, the depths of our hearts to know and to believe in the great love that God has for us. We still struggle to believe that he loves us. Why would he love me? We look in the mirror, we, we, we recognize all of our flaws. How, how often do you look in the mirror and, and, and think positive thoughts? Most of the time when we look in the mirror, we're like, Jesus, help me. Because <laughs> when you're honest with yourself, we're so, we're so aware of our faults and our flaws that we struggle to know or to believe that God would truly unreservedly and unconditionally love us no matter what. We, we doubt the commitment of God. We still reckon and, and, and parallel his love for us with how others have loved us and how our own parents have loved us imperfectly. And, and we, still, we still measure his love according to a human love, but his love is not a human love. It is a supernatural God kind of love that supersedes every single uh, flaw and doubt and fear that we may have. But we don't truly believe it yet. We haven't come to see God for who he is. We still see him as this distant rule maker, this removed, this distant God who sits in the heavens and makes rules and judges everybody by them. Not understanding that he has a heart to lead us into righteousness and, and into fullness and into the things that will bless us. That he's involved with us every day, that he's not afraid of your failures, but he wants to walk with you into the future and that God has these good things for us. So, Trust me this morning when I tell you that coming to know the great love that God has for you, coming to believe in it personally is the single most important discovery that you will ever make. It is the one thing that will change everything about your life. There is nothing else that will give you faith for walking into the future like knowing the great love that God has for you. 
That's what it's all about. And that's why I will preach it every single Sunday, every single time I open my mouth. I will tell you about how much God loves you because it is the one thing that changes everything about you. Everything about your faith, everything about your relationship with God. 1 John 4 verse 16. If you have your Bibles here this morning, you can turn with me to 1 John 4 16. And I absolutely love this, this chapter in the Bible and how it talks about the love of God and what we have in Jesus. But it says in, in 1 John 4 verse 16, it says, so we have come to know and to believe. Everybody say no and believe. Let's do that again. Everybody say no and believe. We have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. For me, that really is the moment when a person comes to Jesus. That really is the moment when salvation enters our hearts, is when we come to know and believe the great love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. When we come to know and believe, the Bible says that God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. His love led to action. It led to the giving of his son. The Bible says that in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us first. That's true love. That even when we did not love God, he still loved us. You see, God's love is not dependent upon your action, upon your performance, upon your goodness, upon your hard works, upon how much money you give into the offering, although if you wanna do that, that's awesome, um, upon anything else. God's love is not dependent upon anything you do. It's dependent upon who he is. And so it's constant and unchanging and unconditional. I wanna ask you this morning, have you come to believe in this great love personally for you? If not, you don't fully know God yet. You don't know him yet. If this is still just a process or a religion or a, or a philosophy or a theory or a theology or whatever else it may be, if this is just something that you think about in your mind but haven't experienced in your heart, you have not truly yet come to experience God and to know him. To be, to be known by him, to experience him means to know his love. Or have you become too familiar with the idea of his love? We all say that God is love or Jesus loves you. We like to say those things, but have we truly, do we truly recognize and realize it for our own lives? Are we in a space where we feel like we need to move beyond that message? Yes, I know about the love of God, but you know, if I'm gonna be a serious Christian now, I need to leave all that love stuff behind and I need to move forward with, with you know, sacrifice and, and, and death to self and all the things that we, that we think comes after the love of God. I was recently rereading a book which really changed my life and has really just meant a lot to me by Brennan Manning called The Ragamuffin Gospel. If I've got uh, Christians that I you know, buy gifts for, oftentimes I'll buy them this book. I've bought it for so many people. I'm like, you gotta read this. And Brennan Manning just had this incredible revelation of the grace of God and the person of Jesus. And, um, and I wanted to read you just this piece from, uh, that I read this past week um, from The Ragamuffin Gospel. And it says, imagine that Jesus is calling you today. He extends a second invitation to accept his father's love. And maybe you answer, oh, I, I know that, it's old hat. I've come to this book seeking an insight in a fit of fervor, I'm wide open. I'll listen to anything you have to say, so go ahead, dazzle me, lay a new word on me. I know the old one. And God answers, that's what you don't know. You don't know how much I love you. The moment you think you understand is the moment you do not understand. I am God, not man. 
You tell others about me that I am a loving God. Your words are glib. My words are written in the blood of my only son. You claim you know that I love you. Do you understand that motivated by love alone, your God became your slave in the upper room? Have you forgotten that on Good Friday, no angel intervened? That sacrifice, that sacrifice was carried out and it was my heart that was broken. Are you aware that I had to raise Jesus from the dead on Easter morning because my love is everlasting? Are you serenely confident that I will raise you too, my adopted child? Do you know the love of God? We say, oh, God loves you. And if people go through a hard time, yeah, but you know, God loves you. And we can say that so, so nonchalantly, but when Jesus says it, when God says it, when God writes it, he writes it in the blood of his own son. This is not a fickle love. This is not a holiday or a weekend kind of love. This is not a good weather kind of love. This is through thick and thin. If God gave his own son up for us, how much will he not now with him give us all things? Psalm 139, uh, talking about identity and formation and, and the heart of God for each of us is something that always is just one of my favorite chapters. Doesn't matter how long I preach or how often I read the Bible, I always go back to, to Psalm 139. And in verse 15, he says, my frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. When God wrought us together, when he skillfully wove us together in our mother's wombs, when we were put together, God did it with such intricate detail. I've heard that um, in the eye of a, a human being, there are roughly a million nerves that need to connect to each other and each of them are numbered. And when your eye grows in your mother's womb, it grows from the back to the front. And each one of those one million nerves numbered one, two, three, four, each all the way up to a million need to connect. And if one nerve doesn't connect, the eye wouldn't be able to see. That's how intricately you have been put together. Your, your very being here today is a miraculous event that God has put together. Something far greater than anything that could be natural. It's a supernatural creation, you being here today. And so David writes about this and he says, my frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book. God has a book. And in them were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. In God's book, every single one of your days was ordained. It was predecided. It was predetermined that you would be here today, that here on the 21st of January, 2018, that you'd be sitting in this seat and you'd be hearing the truth of God's word over your life. It was predetermined for you. God has ordained good things. He has ordained every one of your days before there was even one of them. It says, how precious to me are your thoughts. Just God looking at that, the face of, of us as his children, like I looked at Eli's face that first day. How precious to me are your thoughts, O oh God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. This is the God that we serve. It's the love that he has. And so just like I looked at Eli's face that first day, I realized that God feels that way about me, that he's ordained every one of my days and that his thoughts towards me are precious. Jeremiah 29, 11, everybody knows this verse if you've been a Christian for a while. Um, and I hardly ever mention it for that reason, but I felt like today was the day when you'd get some Jeremiah 29, 11 from me. All right. But God says, I know the plans that I have for you. 
declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, plans for good, plans to prosper you and not for evil, to give you a hope and a future or a future and a hope. So God has a tomorrow for you to walk into. You're not walking into your own tomorrow. You're not walking into something that you're gonna design and create for yourself. You're walking into a God-ordained tomorrow, a tomorrow that has been formed before the ages for you. God has already provided in that tomorrow everything that you would need, everything that he wants to do through your life. Every bit of his plan and purpose for your life has been preordained, and we walk into the tomorrow that God has for us. So incredible to know that and so incredible to, to, to put our hope in a tomorrow that comes through Jesus. And so this is why we live our lives filled with hope. As Christians, we are a people of hope, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of what may be happening. I love the stories of the, of the Christians during the Roman uh, Empire, during the Roman era that were, that were being put to death and it frustrated the, the emperors and, 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 and all the, the, the Roman military that were putting them to death. It would frustrate them because the Christians would die with smiles on their faces. They're being fed to lions, they're being crucified, they're being, they're being burnt at the stake and they all have smiles on their faces because it doesn't matter what the circumstances, our hope is in an eternal future with Jesus. We're people of hope. We're people that may be hard pressed, but we're never crushed, we're never destroyed. And so hope, the hope that we have in Jesus is the anchor for our soul. That's what we believe in. We're not thrown and, and tossed like the waves of the sea when, never, when the wind and the storms rise up. We're anchored in Jesus and our anchor holds beyond the veil. It holds us in God's presence because Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our anchor. So it's so important for us as a church and for us as individuals to settle this in our own hearts and to keep reminding ourselves of this every single day. Remind yourself that you are the one whom Jesus loves. I've always said that that is, that is the, the core of our identity as a church and as individuals is that we are the ones that Jesus loves. The next time you look into the mirror, you, you look at yourself and you say, I am the one. When all those negative thoughts are surrounding you, you just override that with the statement, with the declaration, I am the one whom Jesus loves. It's so important that we know that. Because sometimes between today and tomorrow, we're in today and we're walking into tomorrow. But sometimes between today and tomorrow, between the promise of God and the fulfillment of that promise, between the prayer that you prayed and the breakthrough, there's a gap, there's a gap. And so often we wonder whether we'll ever get across. Some of you, as I'm speaking about a tomorrow, you're not thinking about the great things that God might have in store. You're thinking about the barrier that you feel stands between your today and your tomorrow. You're thinking about how am I possibly gonna bridge this divide? How am I in my current circumstance, my set of, of circumstances or my situation, how am I going to be able to walk into those things? Now, I remember when, when we were kids, um, we had a farm out on the coast and it's one of those, you know, those coastlines like we have here in South Africa with just rocks everywhere and rock pools and, and you know, just crashing waves that come up into the rocks. And, and so as kids, we loved playing on those rocks. All day on holiday, we'd be out in the rocks and we'd be 
you know, jumping across the little ledges and, and uh, we would be fishing in the little rock pools and discovering new places and clamoring all over these rocks, had so many scraped knees and so many, you know, uh, falls and, you know, but going back home was too far. So we would just kind of, you know, bleed it out and just keep on going, you know, put some salt water on it. And, and uh, we were always on those rocks and, and we became really good at jumping over the little gaps in the, between the rocks and, and we would jump and confidently move around, um, around the coastline there. Um, but so often uh, we would come to a gap and you would want to jump and then you would just reevaluate for a moment and you would look at how far the, it was from here to there and the distance that you would fall down if you didn't quite make it. And I can remember countless times, still when I go there on holiday now, I still go down to that coast and, and, uh, and I often go fishing on those rocks and so often you think, well, I'm, I'm older now, I should be able to do this. And then there's this little bit of doubt and you think to yourself, can I make it from this side to that? Can I make this jump? Can I get across? Can I go to where I believe I should go or where I need to go? Can I make it across the gap? And every now and again, when we look at our own lives, we sometimes feel like there is a gap that prevents us from walking into the future with God, with boldness. You think to yourself, if only my circumstances were different, if I wasn't facing these battles that I'm facing today, if my finances were in a healthier place or if I wasn't battling with these sin issues in my life or if I could just be more committed or if I could have more faith for my future, um, then I could possibly make this jump. I could possibly have all these things that the pastor's talking about, but I know myself, I know my own ability. There's no ways I'm making it across. I can't really do this, so I'm just gonna walk the long way around. And we end up like Israel wandering in the wilderness, just going in circles because we don't believe we can make it across. We don't believe we can walk into tomorrow with boldness. But I believe, honestly in my heart, that this is a year for us to get across the gap. As a church and as individuals, your family, your relationships, we're gonna get across the gap this year. We, God is going to, I love the scripture where David writes in the Psalms and he goes, with my God, I can run against a troop. I, can, I could run literally against, you know, just a herd of buffalo. Just imagine them all stampeding towards you. And he's like, with my God, you know, I can run in the opposite direction. And he says, with my God, I can scale a wall. I can just jump right over a wall. I remember hearing the, the testimony of a guy called Brother Yun. Some of you may have read his testimony in the book called The Heavenly Man, how he was imprisoned for preaching the gospel in China uh, and, uh, and, and many times, I think something like five times, escaped from maximum security prisons in China, how God would just miraculously help him to escape. And in one prison, there was a wall that was uh, incredibly high, 14, 15 feet high wall, and uh, he could never have jumped over, and he just jumped and jumped right over the wall, landed on the other side, and there was an old lady who picked him up and said, are you Brother Yun, I'm here to collect you. He would walk through prison doors and they would be open and the guards would be sitting there and it was as if they couldn't see him. He would just walk right out of maximum security prisons and he would just keep on going preaching the gospel. And I love the fact that when we can't jump across a gap, when we can't make it across a divide, because here's the truth, our legs are broken. It doesn't matter how small that gap was, we could never have done it. But with my God, I will scale a wall. I'll jump right over that gap. I'll walk right into the future that God has for me, even though it seems so impossible. And I believe this is the year for us to do that, to see prayers answered, to see miraculous provision, to see hearts healed and boldness arise. There are prayers that some of you have prayed for years, and I believe that in this year, God is going to accelerate his goodness towards you, and you're going to see those things fulfilled. But there's a key to all of this, which is the crux of my message today. There's a key to us 
getting across the gap and entering into what God has for us. And it's found in, in Exodus 3, verse 7 to 8. We find a promise from God. I wanna just show you this in the time that we have left. But in Exodus 3, 7 verse to 8, it says, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. The people of, of Israel are enslaved in Egypt and they cry out to God. Their masters are, are, are driving them hard, are mistreating them, and they are crying out to God. And, uh, and God says, I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them. I love that God hears our cries, he knows our suffering, and he comes down to do something about it. How many of you know that that's what Jesus did for us as well? When we were afflicted by sin and enslaved by sin, he heard our cries and he sent Jesus. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and spacious land. God wants to bring us out of Egypt, out of slavery, into a good and spacious land a land flowing with milk and honey, a land dripping with the goodness of God. That flowing in the, in the Hebrew context means more like dripping, and it wasn't necessarily talking about a honey that comes from bees. It was, called, it was uh, uh, named after the kind of, of nectar that would drip from, from fruit. There's an abundance of, of good fruit in the land. And, and when Joshua and, and, and Caleb and the spies went into, into uh, that promised land and, and, and collected some of what they saw, the fertility of that area, they literally would carry a bunch of grapes. You know, when you go to Woolies and you buy a little box of grapes and you think, this is so cool. When they went into, uh, I don't know if any of you think that way, but when, when, they, when they went into uh, this promised land, they would carry one bunch of grapes on a, on a pole between two men. This massive bunch of grapes. That's what they found going into this land, this good and spacious land. And God makes a promise and he says, I'm gonna bring you out of slavery and I'm taking you into a good and a spacious land. That's what God has for all of us. A promise of provision, uh, of freedom, of leaving slavery. And so Egypt, and, and, or Israel gets delivered from Egypt and they are so excited about the promised land that lies ahead of them. But they begin to wonder. They, they saw the gap. There was a gap between Egypt, Egypt and the promised land and it was the wilderness. And they entered into that wilderness and all of a sudden they felt like they were just wandering. And they ended up wandering in circles for 40 years. Even though it should have only taken a couple of months to make it across to the promised land they ended up wondering and wondering and wondering. And there's a reason for it. There's a reason why they wondered. And we see that reason in Hebrews 4, verse two to three. Hebrews 4, one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. And by the way, we're gonna be doing a series on Hebrews this year called Consider Jesus. We're gonna start that a little bit later in the year, but we're gonna talk about how Jesus is better. We're gonna consider Jesus, and it's gonna be a great series uh, leading up to Easter for you to invite friends uh, to and, and, and have them come and hear about Jesus. Um, but, but in Hebrews 4, it says, for good news, the gospel came to us just as to them. So those people of Israel, they also heard the gospel of God's grace and the message of God's grace, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. They didn't mix their hearing with faith. For we who have believed do enter that rest. 
God had promised them the, the, the time of rest, the place of rest, the good and spacious land. This is referring to them in the wilderness. If I had time, I would go through the whole of Hebrews 4. But it's referring to this promised land, this promise of rest that God had for all of them. But it says they couldn't enter. Now, I want you to notice something that that scripture says. It doesn't say it couldn't enter because they didn't have faith in general. Because so often we speak about faith in the general sense. What does faith mean? It means I'm just positive. We kind of put faith and positive thinking on the same level. It, it frustrates me. Can I, just be, can I have like just a quick rant just for everybody that's interested? It frustrates me when Christians say when they're sick that they can't say that they're sick because then they don't have faith. Honestly, I can stand before God and go, I am sick. It doesn't affect my faith. I can say it because my faith is not in what I say. My faith is in the God that I say it to. And so I can be honest. Now, I'm not saying that we should walk around with an, with a, with an attitude where we just wanna tell everybody how bad our lives are. I understand that that can be a sign of somebody that doesn't truly have faith. But this is not a formula, it's a person. This is not a formula, it's a person called Jesus. It's his grace. And so we don't, we're not into tips and tricks about how to get healed. We put our faith in Jesus. So the problem wasn't just that they didn't have faith. Listen to it. It says that they were not united by faith with those who believed. In other words, when we believe in Jesus, we become one with Jesus, and then the life of Jesus flows in and through us, and he begins to do miraculous things in us. He causes us to scale a wall. He causes us to bridge the divide. He causes us to walk in the fullness of everything he has for him, because it's in Christ that every promise is yes and amen. It's in Christ. So our faith is in Jesus, not in the promise. And they could not enter into the promise, enter into the rest, because they weren't united with the rest of us that have put our faith in Jesus. Do you see what that, the pro, Jesus is the promised land. He is the promised land. In him is everything that we would ever need. He is the land flowing with milk and honey. All the provision, all the goodness, all the grace, all the love, all, everything that you need, it's in Jesus, not in a formula to get something from Jesus. Does that make sense? They were not united by faith with those who listened. And to listen means to believe, to, to trust. So that's why they couldn't enter into the promised land. An entire generation that trusted in the law rather than in the grace of God died in the wilderness, never being able to taste that. You cannot bridge the gap between your today and your tomorrow by obedience to the law. You cannot bridge the gap between your today and the tomorrow that God has for you in your own strength. You can't do it. You can't jump that divide by yourself, by your own goodness. And that is the critical part. The one thing that will keep you from the future that God has for you is trying to get there in your own strength trying to get there by your own power. That's why the message did not benefit them. They tried to go into the promised land according to their own goodness, not relying on the grace of God. So this morning, you either trust in Jesus or yourself, but it cannot be both. You cannot trust in both yourself and Jesus as your savior. It's all or nothing. And if it's of grace, then let it be of grace. I love what Watchman Nee says, he says, we have spoken about the difference between trusting and trying. Believe me, it is the difference between heaven and hell. 
trusting and trying? Are you trying to walk into your tomorrow or are you trusting God for your tomorrow? Is your faith in Jesus for your tomorrow? Listen to this. One of those is faith and victory. The other is disobedience. Hebrews 4, 9 and 11, he continues and then he summarizes it like this uh, at the end of, the, of, of Hebrews 4. He says, there remains therefore a rest for the people of God. That promised land, that rest, that good and spacious land flowing with milk and honey, it remains for the people of God. It hasn't been taken away. For he who has entered his rest, God's rest, if you have entered God's rest, has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. If you've entered into the rest of God, you cease in your own power, in your own strength, in your own works. You rest. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. Be intentional about entering that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. You see, because they didn't put their faith in what Jesus had done and were trying to do it in their own strength by obedience to the law, they were disobedient to the message of the gospel. Do you wanna live a life of obedience towards God? Do you wanna honor God? Do you wanna glorify God? There's only one way, trust him, trust him. The disciples came to Jesus and said, tell us, how can we do the works of God? Jesus answers in John 5, he says, you do the works of God by believing in him whom he sent. This is the, the big difference. Are you gonna walk into your, your future fearlessly? If you want to, the, the, the key to fearlessly walking into your tomorrow is to rest in Jesus today to trust in Jesus today, to have your eyes fixed on him alone, to believe in his love again, the love that he wrote in the blood of his own son. God has a good and a spacious future for each of you, a good and a spacious future that will bless your life and bless others through your life, and he has secured that future by the blood of his son. So like Israel, the message of the grace of God has now been preached to you, don't Put it aside and be disobedient to that message by not believing. Believe. Believe this morning. Be united with those who believe by putting your faith in Jesus and in what he has secured for you. Proverbs 3, 5 to 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Every single part of your heart, trust in God. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. You see, there's a surrender to Jesus. Finally, I wanna read to you Habakkuk 2 verse two to four, and this is, again, one of those scriptures that you would expect a pastor or a preacher to mention on when you come close to Vision Sunday. But there's something in this that I love. Habakkuk 2 verse two says, for the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak, and it will not lie, it will, be, it will show itself true, Though it tarries, though it delays, wait for it because it surely will come. It will not tarry or delay. Behold, the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. Now, I used to read the scripture and I go, well, look, I'm trying to figure out what you're saying here, Habakkuk, because I'm struggling with the fact that you're saying that even though it delays, it will not delay. Does anybody else pick that up? I mean, I read the Bible critically sometimes. I'm like, Habakkuk, please, bud, help me out. Help me out here. Why are you saying that even though it delays, it won't delay? Why are you saying that it, it'll speak truth and it won't lie? Here's the point. 
God has a vision for your life. And even though you might feel like you're in the gap, even though you might feel like there is a delay, it may seem like a delay in your own time, according to your timeline, it looks like there's a delay, though it tarries. It says, but it will not tarry. In God's perfect timing, in God's perfect wisdom and eternal wisdom, he will bring to your life every single thing that he has planned and purposed in the exact moment that he has ordained. So even though it looks like it delays, trust me that the promise of God will not delay. It will arrive exactly on time. It will speak truth and you will realize that God's promise is not a lie. It says, behold the proud, his soul is not upright within him. That's what we are when we try and do and, and, and bring the promises of God about in our own strength. You thinking and us thinking that we can bring about God's goodness in our own lives through our own works is pride. And the intentions of our heart are not upright. But the just, those that have put their hearing, they've mixed their hearing with faith, that have put their faith in Jesus, they shall live by faith. Doesn't matter what your circumstance is. We're not looking at the wilderness. We're not looking at the, the situation. We're not looking at our own imperfections. We're not looking at our own flaws. We're not held back by the pain of the past or the battles of today. Those that know who their God is and have put their faith in Jesus, that have been made just and have been made right with God, they shall live by faith. We walk into tomorrow by faith in the Son of God. And in the fullness, in the promised land, in the land dripping with milk and honey because of his goodness. There's this vision for the future and it's for an appointed time and his timing is perfect. So this morning when you face the gap, when you feel like you cannot walk into your tomorrow, when you've stopped at the edge of that, of that divide between this rock and that rock and you're evaluating your own ability, don't lose heart. Don't give up. Don't stop moving forward because God's will and vision for your life will be proven perfect in its time. The just shall live with faith. I wanna end with the words God spoke to Joshua in Joshua 1. After they had wandered the wilderness, after they had gone around in circles for 40 years, uh, Moses had died um, on Mount Nebo and the nation of Israel finally stood upon the precipice of their promised land and they were gonna walk into the inheritance that God had promised to them all those years before. And God says this to Joshua in Joshua 1 verse 1 to 3. He says, so in Joshua 1, I think it's verse 9, he says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be afraid of tomorrow. And do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That's how we walk into tomorrow. Because we know the God that has given us the inheritance, that has brought us to this promised land. And so we're not afraid, we're not dismayed. The Lord our God is with us wherever we go. And so we walk boldly across that gap as they crossed the River Jordan. Fun fact, right, just to end the, the message, right? Fun fact, it wasn't in my notes, but I know you wanna hear this, all right? To cross from the wilderness into the promised land, they had to cross the River Jordan. The word Jordan is the river. The river Jordan uh, flows down into the Dead Sea. And so the word Jordan means descending into death. And so they had to go through death to self and death to their own strength and death to their own ability 
to enter into the promised land. Just like Jesus, the Bible says, when he died, descended. And what does it mean that he descended? Only that he also ascended to the right hand of God. The only way you and I can enter into the promised land and the, and the tomorrow that God has for us is by uniting ourselves by faith into the death of Jesus. Because if we died with him, the Bible says, we will also be raised with him. And if we died with him, we will live with him. We descend into death to enter the promised land. It's there, it's ours, the work has been done. We just need to mix our hearing with faith and we'll walk into tomorrow. Amen? God is good. Let's pray together.